Welcome to Sermon Underwear, a podcast where we explore the texts and the um, readings behind the sermons at First Lutheran Church in Milford, Iowa. Uh, I'm Pastor Perry Allgaard, and with me today is Pastor Brian Jack. Hello. All right, so we're continuing in our series, Paul's Letters. We looked at all of, well, we looked at a good chunk of First Corinthians, and we've been making our way over the last several weeks through 2 Corinthians and looking at chapter 5 today. And I'm going to read the message translation to you here because that's the one that uh, is most accessible for me. Paul is uh, lifting up some, what shall I say, weighty thoughts. And so uh, this translation kind of helped me to think about them a little more clearly. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, They will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, and will never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a, a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. That's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in, but don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose that a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. But neither exile nor homecoming is the main thing. Cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing, and that's what we aim to do regardless of our condition. Sooner or later, we'll all have to face God regardless of our conditions. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. That keeps us vigilant, you can be sure. It's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in the place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. God alone knows how we'll do this, but I hope you realize how much and deeply we care. We're not saying this to make ourselves look good to you. We just thought it would make you feel good, proud even, that we're on your side and not just nice to your face as so many people are. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything that we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. That is this. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and we got it all wrong, as you well know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, 
a new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him, and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. All right. <clears throat> and then from Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32, which uh, are the end of the prodigal son story. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and begged and begged and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Good story to talk about reconciliation. Yeah. Or at least we hope, I guess, we don't get a... We don't get the really the end of the prodigal son, um, even beyond what you read there. It doesn't really say that they were ever necessarily reconciled, but um, that is certainly the father's aim there. He's, uh, he's the yep. father of both of them. Right. And intends to continue to be. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, uh, again, as usual, Paul gives us a boatload and just a few sentences. So when we get a whole chapter from him, it's kind of hard to know exactly where to start. But um, uh, one of the things that stood out to me in the first part where he's talking about uh, God puts his son's spirit within us. We get a little, uh, Paul writes, the spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. And uh, as I as I was thinking about that, uh, those words in our present situation, I was kind of asking myself, are we in a time where we've just decided to settle for less? You know, as, as we look at our circumstances around us, uh, it can feel sort of defeating as, as if to say, well, I guess this is just how it's going to be, you know, and um, to not, to lose that desire that that there's something more that God has promised to us. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that that certainly happens. 
we settle for less than what we could be because of our of our uh, desires or concerns or our inability to to listen and to engage in in meaningful dialogue Anne and i were talking about about the struggles that uh that we as um people who um are white lived in a relatively um white area all of our life you know not diverse in terms of racial uh aspects very much at all and and how do you have those conversations to be able to really start to understand what is limiting us and to be able to look at it uh the world around us in a new way and so it made me think about when i went to to tanzania and originally when i when i was heading out on that trip my thought was that it was a service project trip you know where we're going to go work and we're going to do some good stuff and we're going to we're going to help people and we're going to help them out of their hole you know and really all the work that we did was to paint their dining room at a children's school and it was like really that's all we're going to do um and then as i looked around and i was looking at how their world was and my farming background i'm like wow they they need to change their farming practices and you know if if they could plant their seed closer together and if they did this differently and they did that differently man they're going to have way better yields and that's going to be so much better and and so then that got me excited about a program that was going on at the western iowa synod and what i found that was that that program was actually struggling it was in iowa state um, or had some Iowa State backing in it. So they certainly had the education stuff behind it and the knowledge, but they just weren't able to make, make a difference. And then I continued listening into different places and really that's what ended up leading me to SACOS. And by getting to the idea of SACOS or microfinance for the, the smallholder farmers in that area, it got to the root of the issue, which was, they would like to potentially change their farming practices, but they don't have the capital to be able to do it. And if they have the capital to do it and somebody does it, then they can see how that turns out for their neighbor. And that then becomes um, a whole different thing and how that for me had started, I'm right and I know what the heck's going on here to, wow, I didn't really understand. So that was a really long way of going around whatever question we started with. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think that the question I started with was have, have we settled for less? You know, we're kind of looking at our world of situation. Um, and that your story certainly ties in with uh, just about actually every mission trip I've been on since a kid up until just a few years ago going to Haiti. Um, and always with that mindset of, uh, yep we're going here i'm going to do something i'm going to help provide something that these folks are in need of and then to come back and almost have these uh embarrassing but eye-opening conversations too of where where somebody will say well what did you do and almost always it seemed like the thing that we set out to do 
uh, for one reason or another didn't come together, which often led me to feel like <laughs> maybe this is God trying to tell me something here. But it was instead uh, um, a change that happened in me uh, or a change and really the tail end of what you were saying, Perry, really connected with me too, that it turned out to be more about the relationship uh, and being brought into a relationship with whoever the people that we, we thought we were going to do something for them. Instead, um, we were brought into a relationship there. And that's it kind of ties into where I think Paul goes at the end of this section of chapter five, two, talking about reconciliation. And there on the one hand, he's talking about reconciliation of, uh, you know, forgiveness and a wrong having been done. And I guess I suppose to look at it from the sense that that's, I've kind of come to the conclusion now that that's the wrong sense to go about doing a mission trip too, to say, I'm doing this purely for the fact that I think I have something that you could benefit from. And that's not really what mission or being church is about either. Um, and so there's, there's this right. move to a relationship. And once you have that relationship, it allows you to better understand. And so therefore your, your blinders start coming off and you quit settling for less and you find something deeper and better and more inclusive. Yeah, I could go on about that. There's a couple of things I want to kind of hit on too in this, um, yep. where he says, he says later on here, um, but neither exile, and by that I think he means neither this time that we're presently in now or dreaming about homecoming is the main thing. He says, cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing, and that's what we aim to do regardless of our situation. And again, uh, this made me think of a, a statement I've heard you say, Pastor Perry, a, a number of times before that whatever is going, whatever we're going through, you've talked about it as uh, this is a distraction. Um, and not that that thing, whatever it may be, is not a serious thing that needs addressed, but to, but I, I again, I was thinking to myself, how often do I approach my life or what's going on in the world around me and look at the situation and say, well, my main goal here, the main thing is pleasing God uh, with what I'm doing. You know, how often do I ask myself that question? Well, is, is this pleasing God or is, is how I'm reacting pleasing to God? And that's a little bit leading up to what Paul talks about here with, where there's this moment of judgment ahead where he's saying, look, I want to set you up properly for when, when that, when you're, there at the judgment seat, um, that your main focus should be in all things be pleasing to God. Um, so it's a, I guess it was a convicting question that uh, that popped up for me as I read the text. Hmm, yeah. Is my main priority pleasing God, or is it? Gosh, I'd really like to be comfortable again and not have to deal with all of this. You know, fill in the blank. <laughs> When is a time where you went for something that you thought was good for you, but because of doing that, you ended up settling for less. In the long run, you looked at it and went, wow, that my selfishness, my focus on myself really made this whole situation be less than what it could have been.
as you consider the challenges that you see in your own life and in your community and across our nation too, if you believe Paul's words here that we are ambassadors for Christ, how does that change or enhance the way that you respond to those challenges? How do you respond to those, those challenges as an ambassador for Christ, as one who is all about sharing this message of reconciliation? How does that shape the way that you respond to the challenges you face? Thank you.